ever wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we are three clinical psychologists, Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen, and we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mention in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Debbie. Hi, Anna. Good morning. So happy summer. It's good to talk with you. Haven't We haven't connected in a little bit. How's your summer going so far? been really really a good summer so far yeah any trips a lot going on but yeah um just a few small ones um up to the mountains Colorado mountains so nothing you know that's close for me how about you um not yet but we're hoping to uh, go up the coast a little bit and then also come to Colorado come visit you and um all of our friends out there so looking forward to that coming up please do that'd be great yeah so it really fits that you've been up to the mountains because today what we want to talk about is our brains on nature. And as our lives get busier and media and technology are really increasingly dominating our lives, we're spending less and less time really in nature and connecting with nature. And this lifestyle change may be impacting our well-being and our physical health, but also our cognitive abilities. So in this episode, what I want to explore is some of the research looking at the impact of nature on our brains, and then also talk about some specific strategies to uh, rediscover how to immerse ourselves a bit more. This episode is really, um, and this topic is really close to my heart. I've been um, a long time, I mean, my whole life I've been a gardener and lover of nature, but more recently, I'm really trying to incorporate more ecotherapy into my practice, as well as um, my own life of just getting more contact daily, multiple times a day of this multivitamin of nature. And I want to start by saying that if you are listening and want to do this while taking a walk, I'm going to be making it a little bit experiential so that you can be listening and then also engaging in some of the um, exercises that I actually assigned Debbie for her homework before talking. <laughs> and I think that you'll find if you go for a nature uh, a nature walk or somewhere that has some greenery um, nearby, you will find this episode particularly rewarding because I'll be talking about all the wonderful things about nature and you will be doing it at the same time, which is also really kind of satisfying. Um, so Debbie. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I do um, listen to podcasts sometimes while I'm out walking around or exercising. So I think for me, this would be kind of a fun thing to do while I'm on a walk. Yeah, do it on a walk. And you can always, you know, pause this one and then go back and listen to habits or the flourish episode if you need some motivation as to why you should be out moving more (laughs) Um, (laughs) and then restart this one up when you're out walking so take off your shoes and go for a walk Uh, so Debbie I gave you a um, assignment and the assignment was go for it so I was supposed to go outside into nature for a 20 or 30 minute walk um I think you said in or near nature, because I live in a pretty urban 
neighborhood in Denver. So um, I was able to go to a big urban park nearby, mm-hmm. Wash Park, for people who are familiar with Denver, which is urban, but there's two lakes and there's some little wooded areas. So kind of a mix of nature and, and urban mm-hmm. um, plants, water. And then you had some tasks for me to do. Yes, and we'll talk about those along the way. So as you're walking today, folks listening, I'll tell you some of the tasks. But the the first task actually was to take a little psychological assessment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I had to fill out a questionnaire pre and post and um, the positive and negative affect schedule. Mm -hmm. So it was rating on both positive and negative emotion that I was currently feeling. Do you want me to... Yeah, so tell me, my yeah. course. Okay. so we have, we have the PANAS, it's actually a, a, a measure that's used a ton in research, and when you read research articles, they use it a ton, and I linked it um, on our website, so you can actually pull it up and take it for yourself, but it's basically 20 different emotions that you're going to be rating yourself on, and you can even think about that right now as you're about to go off on your walk, where are you at emotionally, how um, sort of in ratings of how interested are you, how distressed are you, how excited upset? Are you feeling strong? Are you feeling guilty? Are you feeling scared, hostile, enthusiastic, proud, irritable, alert, ashamed, inspired, nervous, determined, attentive, a little jittery? Are you feeling active or afraid? And so maybe thinking about, okay, what is my emotional state right now before I take this walk? Because we're going to do another post-test assessment when you're done with it. How did you score before you left, Debbie? So before I left, I was pretty low on both, actually. I was a 17 on positive affect and a 14 on negative affect, which was mostly like ones and twos. I think I was, it was evening. It was just around the time the sun was going down and I was kind of tired and I wasn't really in a bad mood, but I wasn't especially in a good mood either. I was just sort of neutral. Um, So I was pretty low in most categories when I started. And then what about post-walk? How'd you do? Post-walk. So my negative emotions went down a little bit. um, And just a slightly though. um, But what I noticed was that my my positive emotions, so uh, that went up quite a bit. And a few categories, attentive Mm -hmm. went way up quite a bit. Alertness went up interested went up. Um, so I think enthusiastic went up. So I think what happened is that it took me from this sort of neutral, like a little bit tired Mm -hmm. to feeling just a little bit more energized and energetic and kind of paying more attention. I mean, the thing I noticed the most just experientially was that I started just paying a little bit more attention to what was going on. felt a little bit inspired, really. Perfect. would be a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah, That sense of inspiration and awe that Um, Mm -hmm. Being outside uh, and being in nature provides, and I think there's sort of, you know, one thing that you'll get probably out of this episode, which is it's a very simple task and it's a really is, can be a panacea when you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling um, just low energy, when you're having cravings, when you're feeling, feeling irritable, taking a five to 10 minute walk outside close to nature will really fix those things. And a lot of times we, you know, we think we need to turn to some new phone app, like they have all these apps, like, you know, calm and relax and, you know, use a phone app to try and get us to calm down. But it's actually much more simple than that. Just take a walk outside. I mean, this is, it's in our DNA. So I'm glad it sounds like uh, you had some of the the positive effects that will be um, really have been demonstrated by research. 
Good. So keep on walking, folks, and I'll give you some more assignments along the way and check in with you, Debbie, about um, your experiences. Uh, but first, I just want to talk a little bit about the definition of nature in terms of Webster's Dictionary defines nature as the physical world and everything in it, such as plants, animals, mountains, oceans, and stars, that is not made by people. And what's interesting is that very rarely do we actually think of humans as being nature. And we are part of nature, even though, you know, we are animals, we are, we come from nature. And more often than not, we think of nature as something outside of ourselves that we can make contact with or use the resources from, um, that we can control or take pictures of, and have more of a sense of separation from nature as opposed to be, being intricately linked or part of it. Our Western view of nature tends to be more dualistic and disconnected and more resource oriented. Like I want to go, you know, harvest that thing or get that thing. And I really like sort of more Native American traditions, although there's a lot of differences amongst traditions and there's no single Native American uh, view, there is sort of an overlap of um, values and views on nature. And David Barnhill, who's an environmental scientist at University of Wisconsin, has written about some of the commonalities amongst Native American traditions in terms of their views and values. One is that nature, according in the Native American view, is something that we live in and that we're part of it, and that there is no there is no essential separation. There's no dualism. There's no sense of, okay, that's something outside of myself that's dangerous or chaotic or that I'm gonna observe from a distance. The second is that nature is in Native American traditions is very much a location of spirituality. And there's more of a general sense of the sacred in nature. And given this, the spiritual value gives a, a, a sort of a calls for a sense of reverence or respect and a sense of humility in our relationship with nature. So certainly if you start, you, you said that sense of awe or inspiration that you felt, Debbie, did you start to feel that more while you were on your walk? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the other sort of uh, component of Native American um, view on nature is that it's nature is something to be used but not in the sense of conquering or controlling it, but in, in a sense of um, you, both you use it and you give back to it. So there's a um, Kiowa Native American poet and Scott Mamaday who says, you say that I use the land and I reply, yes, it is true, but it is not the first truth. The first truth is that I love the land. I see that it's beautiful, I delight in it, and I'm alive in it. And that sort of that being our foundation before we go and use the land, and even if you're out walking or you're hiking in nature, to be able to first appreciate it may impact the way that you treat nature. It's really a reciprocal relationship. So, you yeah. know, there was something this is slightly different than what you're talking about. But I noticed when I was walking near the lake that I was walking around, there were these people out it was just after sunset and they were doing this like folk dancing Aww. near the lake. And I thought to myself, there's something so just sort of natural for human. I don't know what kind of folk dancing they were doing, but I just watched them for a minute and I thought that seems kind of like humans doing what humans do in this yeah. kind of semi-natural environment. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that's sort of observing nature too, because I feel like yes. so much of what we do in today's society is disconnected from our tradition, our traditional human behavior, right. you know. Right. staring at screens all day and driving in cars and sitting at desks. And, yeah. and then I saw these people just kind of in the moonlight folk dancing. And I thought, yeah, 
Yeah. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And certainly connecting with each other in nature. Yeah. Um, really yeah, is, it's a, a, is a big nice group experience. of people. Yeah, it was really cool to see that. Very cool. So what you're also alluding to is that we are using um, more and more technology. And Kaiser put out a report in 2010 um, that for 8 to 18-year-olds, media use has increased by about an hour and 20 minutes a day. So in 1999, they were using it about six hours a day and now seven hours and 40 minutes per day. Um, and what, what has sort of stayed the same is print use. So it's not that we're using more like Kindles and watching more movies, but what has really gone up is video game use, TV use, computer use uh, overall. Mm -hmm. And this increase in media is having and maybe impacting also the degree to which children are outside in nature and doing outdoor play. So uh, more research um, out of social research for University of Michigan Ann Arbor showed that children only spend, this is so sad, 15 to 25 minutes a day in outdoor play and sports. Hmm. So this has huge implications for not only the physical health of our children, but also the mental health of our children in terms of stress levels. Um, there are, so research from Yale University, there's statistically significant associations between greater media exposure and negative health outcomes, such as obesity, tobacco use, sexual behavior, drug and alcohol use, low academic achievement. Uh, so one aspect of this is, is physical activity, but this other aspect, which I think we don't talk about as much, although we say it, just go outside and play, kids, is that uh -huh. there's a real, it's really important for all of us, not just children, going out and just exploring and being in nature, uh, mm -hmm. being with trees, being with birds, sitting on the ground, getting dirty. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about six positive aspects of nature on your mental health. And before I do that, I want to say... What did you, I gave you some assignments. So one assignment, the first assignment is taking a moment to notice something that looked inviting to touch and touch it. So if you're a listener out there walking, go and find something that you're like, huh, I'm wondering what that feels like and pick it up and touch it. What did you do, Debbie? I, I touched a pine cone. A pine cone. Yeah. Which uh -huh. Wasn't exact. It was just a little pokey and, you know, but I was just sort of looking for something and, uh -huh. um, yeah, well, pine cone. And did you, was it what you expected it to feel like? Pretty much, you know, it was yeah. kind of hard and a little bit, you know, prickly. Yeah. A little hard. Prickly. Yeah. Yeah. So what you'll notice with kids when they're out in nature is they will pick up a rock and they will put it on their cheek. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they'll put it in their mouth. That's actually part of exploring our world around us is what does it feel like in our mouth. And whenever I'm, I'm out walking, I try and find something to pick and touch. So sometimes it's like a tall piece of grass and I'll sort of pick it apart while I'm walking or I'll put it against my cheek. But having that sense of, sense of touch is important. Um, so and then another thing I asked you to do, and the listeners can do this right now, is go and find something to smell that um, maybe you haven't smelled before that you're curious about. What did you smell, Debbie? I smell there are these trees that have little flowers on them. I think they might be linden trees. I'm pretty sure. Um, so I smelled and they're very fragrant right now. So I just kind of took a minute to really close my eyes and get under one of those trees and really experience the fragrance. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're smelling, you're breathing, you're taking in the moment of just the experience 
more fully. And was it pleasant or pleasurable to have that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It had this sort of organic smell about it and sort of, yeah, floral. It was it was pleasant. And I think I had noticed, because they're really blooming right now, so I had noticed that smell before on other walks, but I never really stopped and kind of immersed myself in it like mm-hmm. that. Right. So some of these experiences of immersing yourself more can actually have the benefit of reducing our stress levels. So there's some significant research that engaging in nature is beneficial. Number one, nature reduces stress. It's beneficial in reducing stress and improving mood, as you've experienced. And there was this um, study at Stanford by Gregory Bratman. And he had, so Stanford's in a pretty urban setting, similar probably not as urban as yours, Debbie, but where they have some greenery and then they also have some city that's that's around them, the city of Palo Alto. And he had participants um, randomly assigned to either walk around campus in the um, nature areas for 50, for 50 minutes or on the city streets of Palo Alto. And what he found is that when participants walked in the natural environments, they had decreased anxiety at the end of the walk compared to those that were on the city streets. They had less rumination, less negative affect, and a preservation of positive affect. And they also had some cognitive benefits, such as increased working memory performance. So we know that it's not just the act of exercise that benefit that has benefit, but actually walking in nature is superior than going and walking along streets. So when you're choosing your walk, and say you're going out or you're choosing your run, I think being strategic around choosing where you're going to go is important. Like how can you get out of the way of cars, a little bit less cement um, and more trees when you're going for that? Or even better, a body of water, which is great too. Mm -hmm. Um, So Joe Hines, who's written on um, ecotherapy, talks about why nature may have particular benefits. And he says that it promotes eudaimonia, which is happiness and well-being. And it has this particular aspect that you are alluding to, uh, the sense of connection and relatedness to a greater whole and feeling states of awe. And that when you have an embodied experience in nature, it has a qualitatively different um, and higher type of well-being. So when people talk about their experience in nature, they say things like, I felt really satisfied, or it was really relaxing, or I felt really at peace. And oftentimes it, it engenders this experience of wonder as well as a sense of peace of mind. So if you think about vacations where you've gone to a lake or the beach and you're just sort of getting in that quiet space, it's very, it's very different than maybe even just you know relaxing on your, on your couch. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It has more of that wonder and peace of mind feeling. Definitely. Yeah. And then I also asked you, Debbie, and the listeners can do this now, is to listen to sounds of nature. And this is one I've been practicing quite a bit more of recently. So what did you, well, first of all, what did you notice when you started to listen? I I really noticed birds and I kind of focused on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of interesting because I, I could hear some traffic sounds from a distance where I was, you know, where I was in the park. Um but there were bird sounds too, and I don't really typically tune into those. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of different ones. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that kind of surprised me how many I could hear when I actually paid more attention to it. Yeah, birds. It's an amazing symphony. And what what I've been noticing when I've been doing more nature sound listening is how dominant human sound is. So everything mm-hmm. yeah. from leaf blowers to cars, to sirens, to airplanes, 
there is a chronic and constant buzz of humans. And sometimes I'll do uh, this experience where I'll go on a hike and see where, where is it on my hike that I can get to where I don't hear humans anymore and I can mm. just hear nature. And it's this ease of like the, the, the loudness of our human experience is such a cacophony over and above these more subtle sounds of sounds of nature. So listen and tune into, and once you tune into more of the subtle sounds of nature, you also have more of appreciation for, for them. It's, a, it's not as uh, uh, attention grabbing as a siren, right? The sound of a bird, but it's very, mm-hmm. it's very sweet to listen to. Yeah. Um, and so, so in terms of stress, uh, researchers have found that even just pictures of nature reduce stress. So there was a study conducted by the University Medical Center at Amsterdam, and they gave participants um, <laughs> this really mean uh, test where they, have, they give them a difficult math task and they increase its complexity over time. And then they tell them, they give them feedback that their results are sort of subpar, that they're not doing a very good job while they're increasing <laughs> the oh difficulty. And this is to cause people to get stressed. And what they found is that after that math task, but not before, but after it, if they were just shown some pictures or images of green places like empty pathways flanked by trees um, or compared to being shown buildings with parked cars, when you just see a scene of some trees and some pathways in the forest, it actually brought down their stress physiology. So we saw an increase in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is that sense of calm, and you see increased heart rate variability and decreased actual heart rate. So heart rate variability can be a measure of your stress response. So if you're feeling that like jittery, on edge feeling, looking at nature, even pictures of nature, can be very helpful in just bringing bringing your physiology down. Hmm. Yeah. So if you're gonna be looking at a screen at least, Get some nature Throw scenes. a picture of nature every once in a while. Right. Yeah. But even better, even better than that is look at where you're placing your screen. Is it by a window that you can take a moment um, and look out of? And or are you um, placing? So for me in my office, I place my client's couch across from the doors that face outside. And I often open up those doors um, when weather permits. And I live, I mean, my office is in a very rural area, so I can do that. But really putting some intention around, I guess, some of the feng shui of how you set up your life so that you can have moments to look at greenery or create more greenery. Yeah. Well, this is inspiring me to look out the window right now I as I sit here in front of my microphone and yes. look at the green plants. Yes. So if you're walking, take a look and, and notice what's, what's around you. And one of the things I asked was, trying to look for something that gives you a sense of inspiration or awe and spending a little bit extra time really looking at it. So what we know from the Rick Hansen work is that when we pause and look at something and spend about 12 seconds um, of sort of lingering on the positive, Rick Hansen, the neuropsychologist, it's more likely to enter into our brain. Um, so negative information comes in really quickly, but we need to really linger on that positive. So what did you see, Debbie, when you were looking out and saw a sense of awe in nature? What did you notice? I looked at, so it, like I said before, it was just after sunset. And so the clouds were really pretty. 
at, but what I actually looked at was the reflection of the clouds in the lake oh, cool. because it was doing this kind of shimmering thing on the water with the little, you know, ripples yeah. and the colors were just really, really beautiful. So it's just right. looking at the color and, and the movement of That's the water. So cool. That's yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Right so, there in the city, I could see something that beautiful. Isn't that amazing? And, yeah. And what's so cool is that a lot of times we're just walking right past it. Right. Oh, we yeah. Don't, we I, don't I take, do this walk yeah. all the time and I rarely stop to notice something like that. Yeah. So that's, a, that's actually a question. Did, did this walk feel different for you? Than oh, yeah. You done it a lot? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it was slower. It took longer. Uh-huh. Um, Good. And but it did. It felt very different because I was just taking that time. Normally, I'm listening to something and I'm sort of trying to hurry so right. I can get back to business, you know, at home. And, yeah. um, but this time I just sort of lingered right. and it felt, so it felt the pace felt slower and it just felt more, you know, I was observing a lot more than usual. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes everything from, yeah, the clouds to the way a lake looks are really delicate wildflower, but taking that time and it really is a mindfulness practice, right? So some of the things that we're talking about are, are using your fine senses, five senses through mindfulness, but it really enhances your experience and, and enhances that sense of calm, a sense of awe, wonder, and connectedness. Okay, so number two. So number one, nature reduces stress. Number two, engaging with nature changes your brooding brain. So we all have a tendency to brood or um, what psychologists call ruminate, which is going through repetitive negative thoughts <laughs> focused on negative aspects of ourselves or our lives. And we like to go around those circles over and over and over again. And sometimes there's that in our commentary all day long that we just can't get out of. So what brooding is associated with is um, depression and anxiety, obviously. And there's an act increased activation in an area of our brain called the subgenual prefrontal cortex. So we see activation in this area when people are brooding, and we also see people that are um, depressed or anxious tend to have an increased activation in this area as well. So the Stanford researcher, Greg Bratman, who I've talked about before, who had the um, people walk in uh, Palo Alto City versus uh, more uh, the greenery of the campus, had them uh, take another walk. He did a, he did a follow-up study, so with 38 um, other participants. And this time they either walked around nature um, of Stanford or along the city streets for 90 minutes. And what he found is that those who walked in nature had meaningful and significant reductions in both his measures of rumination, so that tendency to brood on negative stuff, and he found decreased activation in this area of the brain called the subgenual prefrontal cortex. So according to Bratman, he says that nature may influence how you allocate your attention and whether or not you focus on negative emotions. So that's sort of that same example. If you are focusing on that reflection of water in the lake and really giving yourself a moment to be you know, connected even just to the, the temperature of the air on your skin, you're less likely to be in your own head and in that brooding space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. again, this is also where I shows up in some of my practice is that 
for some clients when um, they're particularly depressed, I do some sessions walking now, or we do mindful walking outside of my office. And this is not traditional <laughs> in terms <laughs> of psychotherapy, but oftentimes I feel that we just need to get out of the confinement of an indoor room to be able to feel a little bit more expansiveness. And sometimes our, our lives feel like they're closing in on us and our, and our thoughts feel really up close and, um, and like they're taking over. And so getting outside could be so helpful and, and like actually a, a, along with the metaphor of just creating more space for yourself and your thoughts. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about number three, which is nature may promote healing. And this is an old study, but there was a study in 1984, um, that was done sort of a classic, um, and published in science where researchers examined the records of patients that, um, had undergone surgery in the hospital. And what they were looking at is there was two different wings. There was one wing of the hospital that had windows with a view of greenery and another wing of a hospital that had windows of a brick wall. <laughs> so sad. Um, and if you think about being in the hospital after surgery, you're pretty, mm -hmm. you're pretty disconnected from the outside world. And you also have these really unvarying schedules. So you kind of don't get it. You don't really have a good sense of one's day or night. And you spend a great deal amount of time in, the, in a room. Right, so you think about you're lying in a hospital bed, and what's in front of you usually is just a big TV, and um, so that's it's a pretty um, it's a it's a could be isolating and and you know depressogenic environment, obviously. And so what they found in this study is that patients with the window view had fewer um, hospital stays postoperatively. They had the the nurses they had the nurses rate their um, negativity and they had fewer negative comments <laughs> from the nurses like hmm. you know this guy's a complainer or this guy's great uh, they took fewer um, analgesic doses so they needed less uh, pain medication and um, they had slightly lower scores on post-surgical complications so just I mean obviously so this is an 84 study it wasn't randomized controlled so we'll just say it wasn't the greatest study on the planet but from of that um, uh, you know, retrospective looking back at hospital records, it, it would make sense. Have a window to look out of. Where did you place Oh, yeah. That? And so even think about well, where you place your bed, right? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was just, I had one of my children in the NICU for a while um, in, as an infant, and I was just there 24-7 in this yeah. little room, yeah. and it just really was hard, and once in a while, I would just have to go kind of walk around a little bit, because it's just so hard to be in the, you know, it's a stressful situation already, mm -hmm. and then when you're cooped up like that, right. it's very hard, right. so yeah, I could I could see that just from my personal experience, how that might be the case. Right. So if yeah. we're thinking about, you know, how people are designing office spaces, how they're designing hospitals and recovery spaces, that I would actually be really proactive in requesting a room that has a certain type of view, you know, whether even if you're going to go in and have a baby. Um, that was actually, we had our, our first at the Boulder Community Hospital, and I remember those mountain views with snow on them, and how that was so, it was just really wonderful to look out on, and, you know, with your little newborn baby, it was something to, to enjoy, uh, mm. uh, as opposed to just having, you know, that TV on all the time. Mm, that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah. So number four, nature has cognitive benefits. And, um, so there, there's a, um, 
cognitive theory called the attention restoration theory, which is the idea that our attention um, area of our brains, the prefrontal cortex, can become depleted with overuse. And actually, the you know sounds and um, visual stimulation from modern society, everything from sirens and beeps and horns and Instagram and screens and fast-moving objects, actually compete and deplete our attention. And in contrast, if you spend more time in nature, you'll find that there's a much more subtle visual information. Things move more slowly. The sensory experience is, um, you know, much more subtle. So you think about the, you know, sweetness of a cherry Coke versus the sweetness of a cherry tomato, right? Mm. <laughs> and that's sort of the, the different experience of nature. You can, if you're in nature for a period of time, you start to get kind of clued in on like, whoa, check out this ladybug. And, you know, you see little kids squat down on the ground and watch a beetle for a few minutes walking across the ground, right? But mm -hmm. you're not going to pick that up necessarily if you're, you know, moving at such a fast pace. That's so, what I love when I go on a walk or a hike with my two young daughters. They just, the funniest things that they notice and they stop and, you know, a lot of times they're like, come on, keep walking. But they just, they pick up on these, like, you know, a little teeny bug or they find a stick and they're like, can I bring the stick home? And, yeah. you know, just the things they notice. Oh my gosh. I know. I asked a friend of mine, I said, when is it that I'm going to, because I have two boys, when is it that I'm going to stop getting rocks you know in the <laughs> oh, washing I get machine rocks too. and she oh, said yeah she said like you know it probably won't happen until they're 11 or 12 but you will miss <laughs> finding those rocks in your dryer I find them in my car when I'm getting my car washed I clean out and I'm like oh, oh there are find like 10 rocks in the car yeah. they're always finding them yeah but I you have know, a, I, a craft carcass in one of my boys rooms right now I gotta get rid of oh it. nice <laughs> go ahead it's great yeah um, well, it would be nice to recapture some of that childlike interest in something like a, you see a rock and you just must have it. <laughs> yeah, or just appreciate it. I mean, yeah. the subtleties of rocks is pretty phenomenal. The sedimentary, yeah. you know, layers or, you know, little speckles of granite. It's not as eye-catching as an Instagram photo, but um, it, it actually can be pretty cool immersion. So mm -hmm. there was some research done um, at University of Utah by Ruth Ashley, David Strayer, and Paul Ashley. And he was looking at the cognitive impact um, of, of nature, and in particular, this idea of the attention restoration theory, that our attention gets depleted and that nature may actually help restore our attentional resources and be beneficial for us cognitively. And so he was studying... Uh, uh, 56 females who were um, average age 28 and they were engaging in this nature immersion program outward bound school. Um, have you ever done anything like that, Debbie? Outward bound or Knowles? I, I did something like it when I was um, sort of a in, in school in when school. I was younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not recently though. Yeah. So outward bound is a, it's an overnight, usually backpacking program. I actually did it a couple of times when I was a teen. Um, and it's, it's pretty hardcore. Like you don't use tents, you use a tarp and you wipe with rocks and, you know, you don't go on trails and use a compass. So it's pretty, a pretty full immersion in nature. And he measured uh, their cognitive abilities after uh, four days in nature compared to those that were not in um, fully immersed in nature. And he used the remote associations test or the rat test. I'm going to pull up your old cognitive psychology from, um, the GRE. Do you remember the rat test? <laughs> I I honestly do not. Vaguely, vaguely. I'm embarrassed to admit. 
<laughs> I'm sure there's a question on the GRE. Uh, so the RAT is a remote associations and it, it's a cognitive test that measures creativity um, as well as problem solving skills. And what they do is they give you three words and you have to figure out a fourth word that connects those three. So I'll give you some examples, not to put you on the spot, but you did go to Harvard for your PhD, oh, so dear. you can handle this. Okay. <laughs> fear, of, fear of failure. <laughs> okay, here's three words. Widow, bite, and monkey. Spider. Woohoo! You got it. Okay. Yay, I passed. Okay, here's three, three more. Bald. Screech emblem. Bald screech emblem. Mm -hmm. Eagle. Good job. Okay, you're doing it. Okay, so they gave this task. <laughs> it's because you went for that walk. That's why you're so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they gave this task to uh, these participants, and what they found is that when you are the participants that were immersed in nature for four days scored 50% higher on this measure of creativity. Um, and problem solving. And what the researchers hypothesize is, one, it may be that creativity is associated with, with being in these environments that are very gentle and low arousing and emotionally positive. Two, it may be that the actual removal of all this technology that's competing with our intentional resources may um, increase our creative responding. Like you don't have as much distraction, so your mind can kind of freely flow. And then he also, they also thought that nature may activate brain areas that are associated with more divergent or introspective thinking. So that sort of reflecting on a lake or looking at, you know, clouds um, is sort of more of a divergent um, thinking. And then I also think about is just mindfulness is that I think that nature, it, it increases our sense when we really are fully immersed in it. So when you've been immersed in it for four days, you are, you just start to become more mindful. Your water tastes amazing. You notice the subtle crunch of leaves and sounds and smells. And so that may also be an increased mindfulness may also help with some of that type of thinking. Yeah. And I think from my own experiences on long backpacking trips up in the mountains that you get out of that you were talking about that rumination process where you're just always preoccupied. Um, but you're like, okay, when am I going to find water? When am I going to, where am I going to sleep? And you just, the, the things that are constantly running through your mind, that's just not what you're thinking about anymore. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So number five, nature may promote pro-social behavior. Uh, so there was a, uh, some research um, done out of that Greater Good Science Center at UC, um, UC Berkeley. And what they found is that um, just even looking at nature scenes, uh, when participants looked at nature scenes and then participated in a game that's the dictator game and the trust game, which are measures of pro-sociality, their economic games, People were um, more pro-social, more trusting and generous after looking at nature scenes. And then they also found in a separate study that they had participants um, fill out some questionnaires while they had some plants placed on next to them on a table. And then said afterwards, they said, well, you can spend some extra time here making paper cranes to donate to a Japanese um, relief effort program. And that was their measure of how pro-social people were. And they found that the more beautiful the plants were next to them, the more, the more paper cranes people, people made. So even just huh. these subtle things, <laughs> like having beautiful things, nature around you may enhance your mood and also... Um, that natural beauty may also give us more of a sense of like, oh, I want to contribute to others. 
Oh, that's then, a creative study. Yeah, super creative. Yeah. Um, and then finally, number six, movement in nature makes exercise easier. And this was actually the study that you sent over to me, uh, Debbie, when we were talking about doing this episode that was just put out in um, New York Times, uh, which was from University of Innsbruck in Austria. And they had um, people do three conditions. So there was 42 participants. And for three hours, which is pretty intense, they had people either hike up a mountain or walk on a treadmill, which just sounds really incredibly boring to me, uh, for three hours, <laughs> or hang out in a room that had computers and magazines and couches and other people. And what they found is that this outdoor hike, mood scores were much higher hiking outdoors, even compared to the, and that was higher than the treadmill, and then the treadmill was higher than people sitting in the room. They were the lowest scores on mood. But that also, even though the mountain hiking was the most strenuous, strenuous, People um, reported that um, it was it didn't feel as strenuous as the treadmill. So getting outside um, and, and exercising outside may actually feel less effortful than being inside. And I really encourage people to to move outside at least part of their try and get some of their exercise out outside if they can. Um, because I think that you're, you're more likely to, to move more, move longer, um, exercise more effortfully, and then also it won't feel as, you know, daunting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's reinforcing when you're actually enjoying what you're doing, you're more likely to want to do it more. And I mean, I belong to a gym too, but I definitely find that it's harder for me to, and, you know, during when the weather's bad or, or, just certain times the gym works better for me, but I definitely find that I don't, I have to really motivate myself to get out the door to go to the gym. Whereas mm -hmm. if I'm like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk in the park, that actually appeals to me. So the reinforcing nature of it makes it just more doable. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that we can all get outside more. I mean, I'm in Santa Barbara, so you can do this year round, but even when I lived in Boulder, I used to go when it was, my role was, was 20 degrees. As long as it was 20, I'd go outside you just bundle up more and you just work harder yeah yeah <laughs> you know there's what's that saying there's no bad weather just bad gear <laughs> right exactly exactly <laughs> just put on a coat and go yeah and I don't want to also I also don't want to neglect blue spaces so we've heard we've heard a lot about green spaces but blue spaces are also important and blue spaces blue is the new green <laughs> blue spaces are places where there is water there's some real um positive benefits to um our mood uh in water and, and certainly the sound of water water that is um, particularly clear um all those things can be really enhance our um, our well-being so i want to talk about, those are the six aspects of the positive aspects of nature and now i want to talk a little bit about um what people are doing based on knowing some of these benefits and um, as I've mentioned, I think, you know, trying to incorporate nature more into my practice and there is more um, increasing efforts um, to integrate nature into therapeutic programming, everything from palliative care to stress-related mental disorders. And where we actually see a lot of nature therapy coming out is um, actually in Asia. So have you heard of the term forest bathing? No, I have not. Okay. So it's Shinrin-yoku, or forest bathing, and it's a term that's coming out from um, in Japan, where it's actually a um, part of Japanese medicine, and it's encouraging people to go out into the forest. There's a researcher named Yoshifumi Miyazaki, who's particularly um, 
written a lot on forest bathing, but going out into the forest for its rejuvenating and restorative benefits. And they're actually assigning um, as part of medicine to go do forest bathing and in particular go out barefoot, um, experiencing nature fully, you know, doing full immersion. And they're also in South Korea um, increasingly medicalizing nature as a form of therapy. So South Korea, what we know about South Korea is that there are really high levels of stress, um, long work days, high academic expectations on children, a lot of technology use. Um, in South Korea, suicide is the leading cause of death among teens. Um, and more than half of the teens age 11 to 15 have high levels of stress. So what they're also finding in South Korea is that there are high levels of myopia. So nearsightedness, which means that you can see things really well up close, but you can't see things far away. And in um, a study that looked at China, Taiwan, Japan, Japan Singapore, and South Korea, 90% of school-aged children had myopia. Which, wow. yeah. And what the researchers are looking at is, one, is that exposure to natural light, so being outside, stimulates a dopamine response in your um, eye that actually blocks this axial growth in the eye and contributes to, that contributes to nearsightedness. So we need exposure to natural light, and if you're inside looking at screens all day, you're not getting it. And that actually is something that is, gets fixed in childhood. So the other aspect of it that Katie Bowman talks a lot about is that our eyes are at its, its most restful state when we're looking at the horizon. And we need to be looking at objects that are far away. So more often than not, if you think about evolutionarily, we would be looking out at the horizon, looking all over the place for danger, for food, for where we're going next. And we do a lot less of that. So let's take an eye break right now. If you're out walking, <laughs> look at something that is far away. And this is something that I've been doing on a regular basis throughout my day is I, I take moments or if I'm inside working, take moments to look outside at a hillside or a tree or a bird to utilize my eyes in that way. What did you look at on your walk, Debbie? On my walk, I looked at, so from where I was um, at the park, I could see the mountains in mm -hmm. the distance, just really kind of the, almost the silhouette of the mountains because it was getting dark. Mm -hmm. um, but I could see a little mountain view. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So, benefit of Denver. <laughs> yeah, benefit of Denver is always a mountain to see. There's you, always a mountain. You know which direction you're going at all times. Yeah, right. Mountains are <laughs> yeah, west. Really good. Yeah, north, south, east, west. So practice this throughout your day. Taking eye breaks, looking at things that are the farthest thing that you can see and try and look at the detail of it um, and use your eyes in different directions than just looking at a screen right in front of us. So other types of um, interventions that are being looked at, so in South Korea, two-thirds of South Korea is made up of forests, and what they're trying to do is more forest therapy. So there's been a $100 million healing complex that's under construction. They're creating trails. There's classes that focus on mindfulness. Um, they have prenatal forest meditation. Um, cancer patients can go and do woodcraft. So they're just really trying to integrate more of this understanding of connection to nature and its healing benefits. And it's even catching on in the U.S. medical community. So there's a, um, there's a doctor at UCSF um, Children's Hospital, Nushin Razani, who is starting to write prescriptions, like on a prescription pad, 
given to parents for children to go outside to parks. Mm. <laughs> and I, I, that's what I do as a psychologist. I mean, I, I, I give prescription to go exercise in nature. Um, and, and we just sort of pass it up like, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal and it will have tremendous benefits if more of us were doing that. I agree. I think people wouldn't need so many antidepressants or as much right. therapy if they would just get outside and exercise more. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's really good for your mood. Yeah. So finally, I want to give some 10 concrete things that we've kind of talked a little bit throughout this episode, but um, that, that you could do right now in your life to get more immersed in nature and have more of these benefits. And if you're walking, you've been walking for a good amount now. So next step in your walk is actually to take off your shoes and explore nature with bare feet. Did I give you this instruction, Debbie? You did. Okay. How was that for you when you did that? It felt nice. I actually did it at the end of my walk because yeah. I took off my shoes and I stood in some cool grass. Yes. <laughs> So not really nature. It was, you know, my lawn, but it felt really good on my feet. <laughs> it feels really good on our feet. Yeah. Yeah. And stimulating all of that wonderful fascia in your foot um, and walking over things that have different textures. You won't need to go get a foot massage if you walk across yeah. rocks on a regular basis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my so kids it, run out around outdoors in my backyard all the time. And so their feet are pretty. They're just used to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We say, do you have farmer feet, city feet, or country feet? And my kids have <laughs> farmer feet. I have, I have country feet, but I'm working towards farmer. <laughs> okay. So here are some top 10 things that I came up with to get you immersed in nature this summer. Number one, early morning exposure to natural light. Getting your eyes outside early in the morning is important not only for your circadian rhythm and your sleep, but also for your mood. And also now we know also myopia. Mm -hmm. um, number two, try and exercise and move outdoors multiple times per day. So it's not a job just about exercise. It's also about movement and taking an afternoon walk. When you notice a sense of like jittery feeling or those low mood feelings coming on, the best thing you can do is just go out for five minutes. Sometimes exercise becomes this confined thing that we're supposed to do for a certain amount of time. But oftentimes for me, it's just, I'm going to go walk up and around this little reservoir in my house. I'm gonna go walk around the reservoir and back, which takes 10 minutes to do. And it um, really is helpful for our mood. Number three, encourage children to have more unstructured contact with nature. Um, so we think that we need to do a lot to entertain our kids, but actually you really don't. If you just put them in an environment, like a natural environment, you will have hours on end to read a book. If you take them to a forest, I promise you, <laughs> mm -hmm. or if you take them to the beach or you take them to a river, just keep your eye on them so they don't drown. Um, but getting on a daily basis, what is your outdoor time and trying to increase that? Don't go straight home after school. They've been sitting for a long time. Can you stop somewhere on the way and just get them outdoors? Um, number four, eat as many meals as you can outside. And if you go for a picnic, skip the picnic table. So if you are picnicking, we are like, we're like so afraid of dirt. We won't sit on it. Just go and find a spot where you can either sit on a rock or go down to the edge of a stream or sit on the grass. It gets you a little bit more immersed in nature rather than always feeling like you have to go find a picnic table or a bench. And it's this better is for your body. 
Yeah. It's really funny you mentioned this because we, when we eat outside in the summer, we have a table, like an outdoor table. But lately, we've just been throwing a blanket down on the ground and eating there because it's, it's just more fun. It's more fun. Yeah. yeah, that's totally a coincidence. We've done yeah. that. We did that last night, actually. Yeah. And yeah. probably better for your um, biome, your gut biome as well. And it's it's just <laughs> <some> easier. <laughs> There's less cleanup. You don't less have to wipe up. a table off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So so skip the picnic table, okay? And go go find a nice rock to sit on. I mean, it's also yeah, it's just also better for your body to get up and down off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Number five. Walk and work, walk and talk. So these days I'm doing a lot fewer coffee dates with people and a lot more walking dates. So if somebody wants to, you know, like a colleague wants to meet up and talk about something, I will ask them to go for a walk instead of going to coffee or going to lunch because I'm just trying to get more contact in nature outside and there's huge benefits to walking and talking with someone. I also make most of my phone calls to friends that are um, out of state while I'm um, walking or hiking or running. And I think that that's also another way just to get more more movement in outdoors. Uh, Number six, if you are inside, stay connected to the outside. So take those eye breaks, turn yourself towards windows, get plants inside, um, open up the doors, open up the windows as much as you can if it's warm enough. And then number seven is grow things. So, you know, I really value having a garden, but if you don't have space for a garden, you can grow things inside. So on our little kitchen table right now, we always have things that we are, we're sprouting baby plants to, um, to go transplant outside. So what's really nice about that is that we have our little seeds and little, you know, seedlings on our kitchen table and we water them at our meals because we remember to water them and you can watch them grow and you can talk about them with their, with your kids and something's alive and growing. Um, and I'm also always sprouting something like mung beans or broccoli sprouts and like that just to put in our salads and stuff like that. So you mm. can do some of this stuff inside. It doesn't all have to be that you have to have space for a garden because I know not everyone has that. But start growing things. It also helps you see more of a connection to nature. And number eight, get in full contact with nature. So get barefoot whenever possible. Work on climbing trees. Look for trees to hang from. If you can, looking for trees with a horizontal limb and try it, like try it out. It's a great physical experience of really getting into a tree. Um, And number nine, if you meditate, try meditating outdoors. It's really a nice experience and you get some of those sensory experiences. And then finally, find some loose space, number 10. If you can, get to some water, which can be really soothing. And um, it's not just green space, but also blue space is, is helpful to us. So those are my top 10 ways to try and get in nature this summer. And I'd love to hear from you all what you're trying. You can put it um, if you want to do, give a review on um, iTunes. That would be great. Maybe tell us some of the things that you are trying at home and how helpful they are to you. Well, this is great. I feel really inspired to get out there more and to to integrate this more into my life. And I think just doing the little homework, dutifully doing my homework. My husband, he's so funny. He's like, oh, you must have loved that because he knows I'm a big homework doer. Love (laughs) reading assignments. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, it was just so enjoyable. So I'm definitely going to try to slow down more and take more walks like that. Yeah. Thank and, you so much, Diana. Yeah, yeah it's great. And it can be homework that you can give your clients too, or give yes. your family members or your friends. Let's all encourage each other to do this more. 
Um, so I want to I want to close with a poem that I really like. So hopefully you're finishing up your walk now, and you can sit down and do some stretching or take off your shoes. And this is a poem by Carolyn Elkins called What We Knew. At times, we feel the need to go back to plain things, to stones, earth, grass, wind, to things we have known a long time, to what we knew when, we, when what filled the hours was dirt and a few sticks and a pile of leaves, or some thin white bones from a long dead bird. The huge rock near the creek was not too hard to lie on then, and the sun on bare skin felt warm. We did not feel the press of time as we do now. The world seemed firm and real, and life was slow and long and good. Yeah, Aww. yeah. So have a have a great week and. Um, We'll, we'll catch up in a few weeks. Good to talk with you today. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.